I invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read verses 12 through 17 and preach a message entitled, The Key to the Victorious Life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, and here is the text, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Norman Redpath was preaching at a Keswick conference. Now, for those of you who do not know what a Keswick conference is, it's a series of sermons preached annually, the theme being the, the deeper life, so-called deeper life. And after Redpath had preached his sermon, he was being interviewed by a newspaper reporter, and the reporter said, Now let me see you call this Christianity you preach deeper life Christianity, do you? He said, No, that's not what I call it. He said, Well, do you call it the spirit-filled or victorious Christian life, uh, Christianity? He said, No, that's not what I call it either. And he kind of paused and he didn't volunteer an answer, so he said, Well, what do you call it? He said, I call it normal Christianity. The normal Christian life is a, is a life of victory and triumph. It is a life of continuous, triumphant victory. The problem is that we have been so accustomed to subnormal that we think normal is abnormal. The normal Christian life is a life, Paul says, of continuous triumph. He always leads me in triumph. Now... It's amazing how many times the Bible with one word indicts us or condemns us. And the word that indicts us is the word always. He always leads us in triumph. That's not true for most of us. There are some areas of our life where we never have found victory. And for most of us, m many areas of our life where we have found victory, there has only been sporad sporadic and, and, and spasmodic victory. Just occasionally do we triumph. The Apostle Paul said, I thank God that He always leads me in His triumph. Now he draws a picture for us that we have never seen. We have never experienced anything like what he describes here. 
but is very familiar to those of his day. It was the picture of what happened when, a sol- when soldiers went out to do battle. Their general, their leader, would often lead the soldiers outside the walls of the city and would engage the enemy, sometimes three or four days' journey from the walls of the city. And when they would gain victory, they would get a runner and would send this runner back to the city to announce the victory. And he would literally run two or three days' journey back to the city to announce the victory. He was called a herald. As a matter of fact, that's where we get our word preacher. For all that a preacher is really is just a person who goes before Jesus announcing his victory. And so these runners would go inside the city walls and would begin to announce that the victory had been won and the great procession would be prepared. They would get ready for the day of the triumphant return of the conquering army. I'd like to be able this morning, but time does not allow, to describe all that went on in that. But they would open up the temple doors and begin to burn on the altar a very special kind of incense that was reserved just for this day. It was very pungent and sweet. And when anybody walked into the city and began to smell this aroma that was coming from the temple altar as a sacrifice, they knew that a great victory was about to be celebrated. And then would come the triumphal entry into the city, usually led by the conquering general, the leader of the conquering army, riding in a chariot drawn by a great beautiful white horse. And chained to the chariot wheels of that conquering general's chariot, chained to those chariot wheels were the officers of the defeated army. Now the the bulk of the army would come much later But chained to the chariot wheels would be the officers of this conquered army and he would literally lead them in his triumph down the city streets and they would be running trying to keep up with the the conquering general as he rode his chariot. But having been exhausted from the long trek from the field of battle, they would stumble and fall and he would literally drag them along in the city in the dust in absolute humiliation and surrender. Now that's what Paul says about himself. You see that man there in absolute humiliation and surrender and defeat, being drawn by the chariot wheels of the conquering general? That is me. That is me. And I think that he gives us the key to the victorious life. Now watch this. Before I can ever be a conqueror, I must first of all be conquered. Before I can ever become an overcomer, I must first be overcome. Before I can ever be a master, I must first be mastered. And so the Apostle Paul says, what has happened in my life is that I have been conquered I have been mastered, I have been overcome, and I have been chained to the chariot wheels of the conquering Christ in absolute surrender and humiliation, and He leads me in His triumph. That's the key. For the point of my victory begins at the point of my defeat. Augustine once said, I live in a constant battle. Somebody said, you mean a war with Satan? And he said, no, a war with God. And the man said, well, how do you ever expect or hope to, be, to, to, to win? He said, I don't hope to win, I hope to lose. It is at the point of my defeat that I become a winner. It is 
as I have all my weapons broken and all my resistance subdued and I am chained to his chariot, it is when I am overcome that I become an overcomer. Now we have an illustration of that in the New Testament. You remember when the centurion came to Jesus and he said to him, he said, I have a servant that's ill. That's all he said. I have a servant that's ill. And the Lord said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion said, no, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. Now watch what he said. Watch this. He said, I also am a man under authority. Underline the word also. I also am a man under authority. And I say to a servant, go, and he goes. I say to a servant, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard that, he said, I have never seen faith like that in all of Israel. It's the greatest faith I have ever seen. Now that used to bother me. For what is so special about a man saying, I too am under authority, and I say, go, and he goes, come, and he comes, etc. What's so special about that? Well, he said, I am a man under authority just like you. Now you'd expect that the next statement he would make would be, they say go and I go. They say come and I come. They say do and I do. He didn't say that. He said, I say go and he goes. I say come and he comes. I say do and he does. In other words, I have authority because I live under authority. Is your will broken and bowed? Is your heart overcome and subdued by this Prince of Peace? And if I'm not having victory in my life, if there is an area of my life where I'm not victorious or triumphant, I need to ask myself, where am I not yielded to God? Why, where am I not surrendered to Him? Because it is at the point of my submission that I gain victory. Now, I want us to look this morning quickly at this, I want us to, to, to analyze this victory that he found, that he had always. First of all, I want us to look at the essence of the victory. In what does this victory consist? Well, he said, he leads me in his triumph. That is to say, that my victory in the Christian life consists in him, in his triumph. The essence of my victory is that it is his victory. Now watch this. What does that mean? It means that the responsibility for my victory in the Christian life is not mine, but His. He is responsible for my victory and not me. You see, my victory in the Christian life does not consist in my effort, how hard I try, how, bad, how much I work at this, how much discipline I have, how many things I'm able to leave alone, to leave off. My victory does not consist in that. It consists in His victory. Now, I know the question you have. Well, does that mean that we're just to be passive, you know, get us a lemonade and lie down in the hammock, you know, and just let God do everything? No, we have a responsibility, and I'm going to show you our responsibility in just a minute. I just want to make clear to you this morning that the responsibility of living the victorious life is, is the Lord's and not yours. You may remember when the Israelites were freed from Egyptian bondage, and they got out of Egypt, and they were finally headed to freedom? And one morning they woke up and before them was the Red Sea and behind them were the pursuing Egyptian soldiers. Uh, Joseph Parker has a sermon entitled, Old Enemies Pursuing. So graphic. I thought when I got saved, I was through with those old enemies of the past forever. I thought that when I 
experience, the Spirit-filled life, I'd never see those Egyptians again. But I woke up one morning to find the same old problems and the same old temptations pursuing me. And they looked up and saw that they were being pursued by the old enemies and, and they were being pressed between the old enemies and the Red Sea. What did they do? They panicked. They panicked just like we do. And what Moses did, he got up and this is what he said. I love the New American Standard translation. He said, stand by. Stand by, boys. He said, that's a terrible translate. He said, stand by, boys, and see the salvation that the Lord is going to accomplish for you today, for He will battle for you while you remain silent. Isn't that amazing? You just stand by and watch God accomplish salvation for you while you remain silent. You remember when David went out against Goliath? What a battle. That was a fixed fight from the very beginning. And David got him five smooth stones from the, from the river and went out to get, go against Goliath. And he stood up and looked him right in the knees. And David said to Goliath, he said, The Lord has delivered you into my hands today, and I'm going to take your head from your body because the battle is the Lord's. Now, if the responsibility... For my victory is, is, is His responsibility. What is my responsibility? Just stay chained to the chariot. Just stay chained to the chariot. Now you say, well, I'd, I'd think that, you know, there'd be more to living the Christian life than that. You ever tried that? Have you ever tried? Have you ever been there? Have you ever tried just to stay chained to the chariot? Just to stay in an absolute spirit of submission? The same kind of yieldedness that you had the day you were saved? Have you ever tried that? Don't talk about how easy that is until you try it. My responsibility is to just stay chained to the chariot. Now our problem is we want to ride in a chariot. We want up front. We'd like to get a hold of the reins and we say, Oh, Lord, we're going too slow. Go a little fast. Going a little fast, Lord. Slow down. Let's go this way. Let's go that. No, my responsibility in victory is just to keep myself, my hands chained to the chariot of Christ. That's the essence of the victory. What is the extent of that victory? If you still have your Bibles open, I want to read again that 14th verse. Now watch this closely. But thanks be to God who always, underline always, that's one of the words. There are two words here that give us the extent of the victory. Who always leads us in His triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Underline that. Always in every place. Always in every place. Always, that's time. In every place, that's space. He's saying that this is how far that victory in Christ extends. In every place, all the time. Every time, all the time. Everywhere, anywhere. It means that everywhere, at any time, that I find myself, there is victory and triumph. Now that's pretty amazing, pretty awesome. When you, when you look at the context of this verse... Did you notice when I read, he said, I came to Troas and a door was open to me, but I found no peace in my heart because Titus wasn't there. Door slammed shut. Looks like defeat. He said, that's triumph. And you read on in chapter 4 in particular, and it's the whole, the legacy of what this man endured and, and suffered, the burden and the agony. He said, you remember when I was shipwrecked? That's triumphant. 
You remember when they beat my back and left me for dead? That's victory. You know when they stoned me and covered me up with the stones? That's triumph. You remember when I was in shipwreck? That's victory. In every place, in every time, I have experienced the triumph of Christ. Time and space. Time and space. Friend, that's your life. How do you define your life? You can define your life by these words, time and space. What time is it now in your life? Where are you right now in your life? Right there is the triumph of Christ. That means that I can have victory in some other time than Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm so victorious at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. I've been preaching like, like 20 minutes. Seems like 30, seems like 40, some of you. But I've been preaching 20 minutes. I don't suppose I've sent a time while I've been preaching. I have lost my temper. I haven't been jealous of anybody. I've just been up here, you know, in the Spirit of the Lord. And, and I, don't, I don't suppose I've sent a time. Man, I'm so triumphant on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And I've tried to bargain with God. I've told Him, I said, why don't you just put all my temptations and all my problems and all my, my needs, just lump them all together and lay them on me on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock because I have victory then. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't give you two cents for a victory that's only good on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. If you can't have victory at some other time than 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, you don't have victory. Because your problem and mine is not 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. My problem is 11 o'clock on Monday morning. And what Paul is saying is this. You can come to 11 o'clock on Monday morning and the time when you, the, when you have it the worst and there is victory, triumph. You say, well, what about the old boy on a sick bed? Yeah, there too. You can have victory there. You know, it takes a whole lot less... It, it doesn't take much victory to shout praise the Lord when the Lord raises somebody from a sick bed. Now, I'm, I'm grateful when He does that. Let me tell you what. It takes a whole lot more victory to praise the Lord when He doesn't raise a person from a sick bed. And you say, well, you mean on a sick bed, a man confined there in, in that, that adverse situation? You mean there? Paul said, in every place, in every moment, in every time, you can have victory. You, victory is yours. Now, what if, what if in the morning I wake and I find myself surrounded by troubles and problems? What do I need to do? I need to check and see if I'm still chained to the chariot. Because if I wake up in the morning and I'm surrounded by all kinds of problems and difficulties and temptations and burdens, and I'm still chained to the chariot, you know what I know? I know two things. I know the Lord led me into that mess. Or how could I be in it if I'm chained to the chariot? He didn't lead me. See, he, he led me into that mess. And I know a second thing, I can start to rejoice because the victory is mine. That's the extent of the victory. Now, one last thought, please. The text suggests something about the evidence of the victory. For the whole point of this passage is public exhibition, public exhibition. For what, was, what took place in Rome when the conqueror came home from the conquered was a fantastic exhibition of victory and power. That's the whole point here. Now, now Paul says he manifests through us the aroma of his fragrance. That word manifest is a word that means to be put on exhibition, is to, be, is to exhibit something that has profound importance and influence. Now, now, this is what he's saying. When I have been chained to the chariot and I have been overcome 
The Lord will exhibit in me. He will manifest in me power and victory. He'll manifest it. He'll exhibit it. He'll evidence it. Let me tell you something. When you have that, when you're chained to the chariot and you're led in his triumph, you won't need a bumper sticker or a button or a medallion to prove it. Now, I'm not against wearing bumper stickers and medallions and buttons. Let me tell you something. When, when God begins to manifest through you the sweet aroma of His presence and power, you won't need a bumper sticker. You won't need a medallion to prove that. If you do, you don't have it. He said it's like perfume. It's like perfume. Now, I know two things about perfume. That's what he's talking about here. First of all, it's pervasive. It's pervasive. It always comes through. It always comes through. Now, I like to go up to the track and jog sometime. I won't get that in, but you know I'm a jogger. You know, two things preachers always... I've never heard a sermon yet by some, strange, by some evangelist, some stranger. He didn't talk about flying on an airplane and jogging. You know, it's a, it's a fact. I went down to Falls Creek and God got up and preached. He had to interject. He jogs two miles every day. It never fails. Well, I like to go up to the track and uh, jog. There's a lady that jogs up there sometimes. Has a, the, it has this marvelous perfume. Now, I know she wears that perfume, you know, in her work in, in the daytime, you know, at her work, and, and when she changes into her sweats or whatever she runs in, she, it just stays there, just there. And it just smells so good. Now, she can be sweaty. I mean, she perspires and she sweats. And, and, and she does sweat. And, and, and there is, there's a breeze blowing on that track. It's open, of course. But, but you go around that track and you come, if she goes around you or you go around her, uh, you're going to smell that. You just can't keep from it. It just pervades that place. It always comes through. You don't have to beg somebody. You don't have to beg perfume to smell, do you? You can always tell when somebody has on perfume. You can always tell when they don't have on perfume. But you can always tell when somebody has on perfume. It just pervades the whole place. It just always comes through. I preached a funeral for a young man who was a high school star athlete. Went to Howard Payne University and played on the varsity football team. He was a dynamic young man, a handsome young man, the star, the most, the purest, finest young man to come out of this high school. Not too long after he got out of high school, he got a church. He was on the way. Then he found out he had cancer. He's dying of cancer. And, and I got to know him very well in the last years of his life. In fact, he pastored in a across the state line from where I pastored. It's 20 miles from my place to his. And he's in New Mexico and I was in Texas. So I'd preach on Sunday morning and, and times, several times and he'd be ill and couldn't preach. So I'd preach and I'd leave and I'd go preach for him. And I'd get there at the end of the song service, 20 miles, and they'd be, I'd walk in and preach for him. It'd be just right. And I saw in him the pervasive power of the love of God just kept on coming through. He hurt he had a malignancy in his brain. He suffered. He, he, he became inhibited. And yet, there was this aroma of God just pervade, just kept coming through. 
And near the end of his life, he, he began to hallucinate. I'd go see him. He moved in with his mother-in-law who lived in my, my town. And I'd go see him and he'd be sitting there talking to Peter and John and Paul. You know, he thought he was in heaven. Kind of a funny thing. One day I was over there and I was just sitting there by him on the couch and talking to his wife, Shirley, and he's up there talking to Peter and Paul. Yeah, you know, all of a sudden he kind of came to himself and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? You know, he, I thought, well, you know, I'm going there. I'm, I, I, I got as much right there as Paul and, and, and Peter, James and John. And I preached his funeral. I preached the text that he told me to preach. It's that first chapter of Philippians when it said, I know all these circumstances that I'm under, I don't care. Because the gospel is being preached. And just kept on coming through. You just can't keep the perfume out. It's pervasive. And it is persuasive. That's why you girls wear it. That's why you wear it. You're going to make a hit with husband tonight? You're going to put on a little perfume right here. You're going to put on... Well, that's persuasive. I would say something, but my wife's here and I... You know, and I used to go with Margaret, and I'd get, I'd, I'd get in the car, you know, and she'd get in the car with me, and we'd start, boy, that perfume, mmm. I'd get up in the middle of the night, go out in the car, just to smell the car, you know. Boy, that's persuasive. She might, she might want to go to, she might want to go to, I might want to go to a ball game, she want to go to a movie. We went to a movie. I mean, that's persuasive. It's, it's powerful. That's why you girls wear it. Let me tell you something. When the man's chained to the chariot, that sweet aroma of God in his life, it's persuasive. It's persuasive. It's, it, it persuades of the greatness of his power. Let me tell you, that guy riding in that head chariot down Main Street didn't have to put his finger up and say, I'm number one. Everybody already knew that. And he didn't have to get him a bumper sticker and put on the front of that chariot and say, I'm the chief. I mean, I mean I'm the winner. You didn't have to put that on there. Because when he came riding down that street and that aroma coming from the temple altar and that, that, that evidence, that was evidence enough of the greatness of his power. He was preeminent. It was persuasive of the, of the graciousness of his power, the goodness of his power. It's important to notice that it talks about this aroma as being sweet. I have, a, I have an idea that some of us think that if I get chained to the chariot wheels, God will make me do something I won't like to do. I'll be miserable. Oh, no, my friend. This, 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 experience, this aroma, this, this conquering is, is, is the sweetest thing that can ever happen to a man. It's good. The will of God is good. And I, hear, I heard a preacher tell, tell about this young man he knew called him in the middle of the night. He's an alcoholic. His wife and children have left. He went over to his house. He said, Preacher, do I need a psychiatrist? He said, No, you don't need a psychiatrist. And I don't think you do. Now, I, I think some people do from time to time need those. I'm not knocking them. In fact, I'm totally committed to the sciences of the mind. He said, I know. He said, I don't think you need a psychiatrist. I think what you need is the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart. He said, He can do for you all you need. So they got on their knees that night and he prayed and received Christ. His statement, his, his thing was to say, It's so good. He, he, preacher said one night, he, he woke him up in the middle of the night. He, he said, uh, Preacher, this is Jim, whoever his name was. He thought, Oh no, he's called me because he's off the wagon. 
He said, I, I just wanted you to know, he said, I know you hear all these bad things that people say, all these b- bad problems that people have. He said, I just want to tell you something good. He said, it's so good to be a Christian. I just want to tell you how good it is. I want to give witness to that. He, he gave up his job. He, 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 he became a preacher. He was up in Seattle, Washington, working at a little mission church up there. And he died. Just before his death, his preacher was there. This is what he said. I want you to know that being a Christian is the sweetest thing. It's so good. It's so good. It is good to be chained to the chariot. Now, to that conquered soldier, it was absolute degradation. I mean, those... Those defeated soldiers, defeated officers would kill themselves many times to keep from having to be dragged down Main Street at the chariot wheels. It was the absolute quintessence and epitome of, of degradation and humiliation. Why is it not humiliating to be chained to the chariot in absolute humiliation and defeat? Because, hear me, To be conquered is the most ennobling thing in life. It's the most ennobling thing in life to be conquered by Christ because it exalts man to his true humanity to be mastered by the Master. It means that I have reached, I have found why I was born when I am trugged at the chariot wheels of the Prince of Peace. I ask you a question this morning. Is your will bowed and broken? Is your heart subdued and conquered by the Prince of Peace? Would you hand out your hands to Him today and say, I'll do what you would do, have me do. I'll be what you'd have me be. Chain me to your chariot and lead me in your triumph. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to see that it is at the point of our defeat that we find victory. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be willing this morning to lay lay down our weapons, give up our will, and come in submission to Him who is Lord of lords and King of kings, who has conquered man's last enemy, even death, and deserves to be our Lord. I pray for that experience that brings victory to every heart, the experience of defeat. May there be many come today who will say, I want to give my life in absolute submission to God. For I pray in His name, Amen. Now, there are three invitations. Listen carefully. We'll hurry. The first invitation is for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Some of you at camp, maybe Falls Creek. Some of you here this morning... I've been praying for some of you. I know many of you. Some are watching by television today. I'm asking you now to just right now in your heart to pray and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. To confess your sin to Him and your need of Him and trust Him and Him alone. And then come publicly to declare that faith. Go all the way with Him in it. The invitation to come and join the church. Or to come this morning to say, I've got one hand loose from the chariot. I've not yielded all to God. I want to do that. Would there be one to do it? If one will do it, there might be another. 
and the answers and the help and the hope and the strength and the victory that God gives as we give ourselves to Him is exactly what we're looking for in life. Let's stand to come while, you, while we sing. Come.